Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WTMJ. Know the difference, Team Tech Trust. This is Money Talk, Saturday, February 2nd. Welcome, everybody. Dave Spano, welcome. Nice to see you, Danny. Derek Felski is here and Mark Oswald as well. And um, just want to put a quick plug in for Destination Retirement. We had one Thursday at our Elm Grove headquarters. It was packed despite the weather, and it was great. Our next one happens Wednesday, Wednesday at the Fister. I don't think we've done a ton with clients yet at the Fister. The Fister Hotel, but I'll be down there. So if people want to come down, it'll be a great event. Good, good. That happens Wednesday. You can register today, right now, at AnnexWealth.com. So let's get to uh, business, guys. Uh, first right. off, how about that jobs report? Yeah, big number. And it was 304,000 jobs, so people clearly uh, were back to work. And I did see there was a little bit of a hiccup based on some of the uh, the federal numbers, Mark. But uh, there are certainly a lot of good good numbers that came out of that jobs report this week. Well, I was listening to your report yesterday afternoon on the station, and I was surprised by the number that you said in, in terms of the consecutive number of months, yeah, months. that we've added yeah. jobs. It's just amazing when you start thinking about 100 months in a row, we've been adding jobs. So when people are working, obviously, and, and we're gaining jobs, and we talked about 2 million jobs last year when people are working, and then you start to see wage inflation where people are able to demand a higher salary, command a higher hourly wage. We see that going up about 3% per year on an annualized basis, and that means people have more money, more buying power, and then that continues to drive corporate profits and the stock market. So we had a good report, Derek, but the unemployment rate went up. Well, the unemployment rate went up because more people are actually looking for work. You know, we talked a lot about the U6 number being abnormally high, and we saw a 497,000 person increase in the labor force uh, last month. But I wanted to just amplify something Mark said about wage growth. I mean, not only are we seeing 3.2% year-over-year wage growth, but people are actually working three-tenths of a percent longer and 2.4% longer over the last year. So if you add the 2.4 to the 3.2%, People are going home with 5.7% more money than they did a year ago. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> there was a lot of numbers. And so if you add three tenths, Mark, you might, that means you might have to come in on Friday. It's going to be up to two hours. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, no, but wasn't, wasn't part of that number the 175,000 furloughed employees uh, from, from the shutdown? Well, it was, but it didn't have that great of an impact no, it didn't. because because when you look at the numbers, December was revised down a little bit, but the January number was three hundred four thousand, as Dave said. And when you start to look at that on an annualized basis, you look at you, why do we look at this in the first place? Why is employment important? Because when we talk about people working, of course, consumer spending drives GDP, drives the economy. The other piece of it, of course, guys, is what does employment and inflation have to do with each other when it comes to the Fed and what we can expect them to do with monetary policy. Well, and that to me, that's the irony here. You know, the Fed has paused. And, and as Dave was saying to me just before we started uh, this this segment, you know, the balance sheet runoff is something that the Fed has never done before. So it's very
very hard to figure out what impact on the economy, on liquidity, uh, the, the diminution of their balance sheet was going to do. So, you know, the combination of raising rates and running off on the balance sheet, which was leading to some liquidity concerns, was probably a little bit too much. So I think the Fed is being smart by being, uh, you know, more patient with regards to rate increases. So they increased their balance sheet. When people hear this, Mark, it gets pretty wonky, but I mean, it was an enormous number, and now they're down to $50 billion per month. My hand is up. Can I ask, what is the balance sheet? So essentially, they were buying bonds, right? So when the U.S. Treasury has its auction, the Fed was buying bonds. So they're creating a market. So as they're driving the price of the bonds up, the yield is coming down. So they're effectively lowering interest rates by doing that. By rolling off the balance sheets, when those bonds become due, when they mature, they're not buying new bonds. So you're dropping down the amount that you have in bonds on your balance sheet. Yeah, so, and, and they're so the, the biggest buyer in the world. Yeah, so they're so you've taken a big buyer out of the market at the same time that the Treasury is issuing more bonds than they ever have before because our deficit has actually widened uh, during the past several years. And that would tend to put upward pressure on interest rates, which then affects the valuation of all financial assets. A lot of stuff to talk about, Danny. We sure do. And coming up, one of our team segments, we're going to talk about what's called discordant retirement. I'd never heard of it, but it's fairly basic. It's when a couple retires at a different time. So one will work for another couple of years. Is that a big deal? I guess it can be. That's uh, coming up with Deanne Phillips. That's good stuff. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, 1013 at WTMJ. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference? Team Tech Trust. This is Money Talk, Saturday, February 2nd. Again, a reminder, Destination Retirement, Are We There Yet? happens Wednesday. We've got room for you at the Fister. This is our, uh, I think, our well, definitely our first one for uh, 2019 at the Fister. Right. Dave, you're going to be there. This is a great retirement Kind of our revamped roadmap. There's a great workshop that go, or workbook, workbook that yeah. goes along with it. We had one last week at our Elm Grove headquarters. Uh, we got one coming up again February 20th in Elm Grove. And then for those of you listening in the Valley on March 7th in Appleton. But again, Wednesday's coming up pretty quick. But you can still get in on that. And you can do that right now at AnnexWealth.com. So the S&P is back to 2,700. And the Dow Jones over 25,000. And, you know, when we were talking about this on Christmas Eve Derek, you and I were looking at this debacle that was happening in the market, but we've retraced a lot of those losses so far. Right. We've retraced almost 60% of the decline. Um, you know, I, you know, one of our research partners today, they do a good job on, on market technicals and internals and the like. And they did point out that the market, because it's the S&P is up almost 16% in the last five weeks, uh, that is short-term overbought. But what they also point out, too, is when the market gets short-term overbought, it does tend to consolidate. Perhaps it corrects a third of the advance. But ultimately, three to six months later, it's typically higher because there are a lot of folks, I believe, that went to cash in December over, over headline concerns and just a sheer technical breakdown of many of these market averages. And, Mark, you know, we send statements out at the end of the year, and that was a down uh, point when, when people are getting their statements. But, again, we've, we've retraced a lot of that. And so if you look at your statement now at the end of January, it's going to be a different number altogether, and people should put that in perspective. Absolutely. And, and that's the psychology of investing because I, I, I'm going to 
bet that there's people out there listening this morning that didn't open their 1231 statements just out of fear because they were afraid of the stark reality of what happened in December. So now we have January 31st statements coming out, and a lot of it has changed. A lot of it has come back if you stuck with your plan. As Derek said, there's a lot of people who react emotionally to what happens in the market or what they see in the news, and they do rash things. They move to cash. They they go all in or all out of the market, and usually those are bad moves. And I think that for people who did that, who got off track with their plan, that now would be a great time to go back and reassess your risk, what you own, why you own it, and how it fits into your portfolio. So a correction is not a crash, and a correction is normal, and they happen about one every th- once every three years. We got to 19.8%, and we, we call a bear market a 20%, so it was right at the doorstep. Depends if you want to use that term or not, but they are natural, and I think you're exactly right, Mark, is that you need to develop a plan, and those people who made those rash decisions now want to get back in. Unfortunately, they've missed some of the recovery, Derek. You know, in many ways, they should kind of do like what we do with the investment committee. You know, every Tuesday, we get together. We, we talk about what we're hearing, what we're seeing, what the fundamentals are, what's changed, you know, economic data, corporate data, uh, political... Uh, changes and so on and for us it's a discipline like one thing we look at every week is what this fear and greed index and on christmas eve dave i remember you know it was three on monday and it was two on the day before christmas and that's the lowest reading i'd ever seen so if you're going to be buying when others are fearful and selling when others are greedy that was clearly a buying opportunity i will point out that that fear and greed index is now all the way back to 63 so it is no longer uh, you know at a low level and i would suggest that investors who were nervous during december and have some stocks in their portfolios that they're not as comfortable with, or perhaps they see opportunity in other areas to really re-examine their their holdings and perhaps make some changes. Big week for earnings as well, guys. You know, there were a lot of companies that reported this week. And just looking at overall how earnings are going so far, Derek, we have uh, quite a few companies that reported this week. And we're starting to still see those beats that we have, people who are beating their estimates and looking at guidance going forward. And, we'll, and we're going to get into that because there's a lot of companies that did report. So, Derek, appreciate you uh, sticking around here on Saturday. But there is a number of companies that we want to talk about, and we're going to do that later in the show. Okay, there's still more to come. Uh, Discordant Retirement with Deanne Phillips. We'll talk about that next. Uh, talk about some earnings reports. Uh, 401k outflows and inflows. Why does that matter? Well, it's an interesting uh, kind of a um, philosophical talk with Tom Parks, who is our director of retirement plan services. But really, this is a segment that you should share with millennials that you know, because they are not contributing as much to 401ks, and that will be a problem in the future. Uh, That is on the way. Annex Wealth Management is at AnnexWealth.com. We have a bunch of locations. If you can hear this radio station, we can take care of you. We're in Elm Grove. We're in Mequon, Lake Country. Appleton in our brand new office in Appleton, uh, downtown at the Fister, and again, since WTMJ has got this enormous signal, annex everywhere. If you're listening, I mean, even across the lake in Michigan, uh, we can use some technology, some really easy screen share technology, and, uh, and do that with you. Again, AnnexWealth.com is the website. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. 
Know the difference, Team Tech Trust? Discordant retirement. That's a thing. It sounds like a marital spat, but it really just describes a phenomenon retirement researchers have been digging into lately, the fact that few married couples retire at the same time. Deanne Phillips is here to talk about this. She's Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management, as well as the CFP and a CDFA Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. Welcome back, Deanne. Hey, thanks for having me. Discordant retirement. This is a thing. It really is. Retirement's very complex. Years ago, people were tired when they retired. And here we talk about retirement in multiple stages. And psychologists, of course, have talked about this a lot. We call it when you first retire your go-go years, where first you're in the honeymoon stage. You have that honey-do list. You have the things that you always dreamed about doing. And then your slower go years, then your no-go years, right? Slower go and no-go make a little bit more sense, but it's those go-go years. And when you hit that at different ages and you've got one spouse, usually the wife who's still potentially working, there's a whole different phase that you can go through. And that is rediscovering yourself and how you're going to spend that money in that very first part of retirement. So you see this all the time. What would you say is the percentage of couples who do not retire at the same time? Well, there was a recent survey by Fidelity Investments that found that about 43%, so almost half of married couples, disagreed about the age they'll retire. You know, the average age of retirement is 63, but that's a difficult statistic to answer, Danny, because half of those people go back to work in some capacity. So everybody really goes through a phase of defining what is retirement. You know, we saw about 10 years ago a slew of um, the younger baby boomers who might have lost their jobs. There There was downsizing that was happening. And when you're downsized in your late 50s, early 60s, you're kind of faced with the decision then, do I want to go ahead and find something in my old field? Will I be able to? Will there be, even if it's not mentioned, some sort of what I feel is age discrimination or do I just slip into retirement now? So discordant retirement's been around for a while. The question is, you know, how do people pick themselves up from their bootstraps and get beyond that first self-identification phase? What's the problem if they can't agree on when they're going to retire? Uh, that, well, it's, okay. it's really a psychological answer okay. to that question. When my parents retired, my dad retired first, my mom worked for another couple of years, and it seemed just fine. Was that their generation? Yeah, it really is. So greatest generation, when women entered the workforce during that generation, it was a, a little bit of different assumptions. They still were making that bridge to, remember, women didn't sit on boards mm-hmm. much then. They didn't run companies as much then. So it was really making that bridge to being outside of the traditional June Cleaver role and really working. So it was a little bit easier for them to, I'm making generalization here, but to slip back into that supportive role in the home later on. Now you flash forward to the Gen Xers and certainly the Gen Ys and you look at our generation as Gen Xers, Danny, you know, the women, of course we were going to, for the most part, go to college and work a full time, have a career. And women's and, and men's brains, because we're wired differently, women are just so used to having that multitasking, you know, we have to have the, we're the caretaker, maybe our aging parents, the kids, we're the ones who have to have the kids, right? And so we take time off for that a little bit potentially. We have our friends, we have our social experience. When we look at how men generate, we're operating into that retirement. It really depends on their personality type. But remember, someone who's an A-type personality does not stop being 
an A-type personality in retirement. We're talking about discordant retirement with Deanne Phillips. There's a discordant phase. One spouse works uh, longer than another. We should talk about great financial planning because that's what Annex Wealth Management does. And this is where really you get into eligibility for pensions or when are you going to start taking Social Security distributions? When do you start pulling from that bucket? Right. So obviously there's a lot of financial decisions that have to be made as you are moving up to the point where you're deciding upon retirement, whether or not you're retiring at the same age or not. But if there is that discordance, if one spouse is going to continue working and the other does happen to retire early uh, before the age of 65, let's call that early from a healthcare point of view, because that's when you can take Medicare, right? That's when it can kick in. So you have to look at things as a financial planner, like your healthcare benefits, your Medicare benefits, what that bridge is going to look like and what that expense will be. So we talked about planning. Also, we need to talk about vision. We do ask our clients, you know, are you thinking that you're going to age in place? And what that really means is if you're going to do a major revision remodeling and you're in your late 50s, early 60s, are you going to stay there or why are you doing it? You know, what's your thought behind it? It's never too early to begin the discussion of how you envision your downtime together. You know, as, as a certified divorce financial analyst, you know, unfortunately, we've really seen the rise of gray divorce. That's divorce in people over the age of 50 because they have this discordant timing and or thought on what that's going to look like. What better time for destination retirement are we there yet? It's a new workshop for 2019. We just had one. It was packed. And we've got more coming up. We do. And because based on this conversation we're having, Danny, it's it's pretty clear that both men and women, particularly those boomers, need a road map. This workshop is really going to help lay out some thoughtful financial and some non-financial decisions that you're going to want to start a conversation with with your spouse. So we're going to have one come up again it's called destination retirement are we there yet on wednesday february the 6th at our downtown brand new fister location and then also again on wednesday february 20th at our elm grove headquarters talk about those uh, conversation starters that are critical to couples that are considering retirement it's an important conversation and you can get that going at destination retirement are we there yet with those upcoming seminars deanne phillips thanks for coming in thanks for having me okay again if you missed that you can uh, check that out at annexwealth.com we've redone our website i think our our team has done a fantastic job on it really looks nice but uh, when you get there at annexwealth.com head over to the upper right corner and you'll see the events tab there's three of them there's our blog there's the events and then there's our client center but events tag you tag and you can click on that and you'll see all of the uh, the uh, seminars that we have including destination retirement for next Wednesday at the Fister uh, Wednesday the 20th in Elm Grove and Thursday the 7th in Appleton another couple that I want to mention is there's a lunch and learn at Mason Street Grill which is right inside the Fister which is where our newest location is Dave Spano is going to be there, and Derek Felski is going to be there. This is a lunch and learn. It's 11.45 till about 1 o'clock. That's some high-level stuff. Again, details at AnnexWealth.com. Another one happens February 21st with Annex Women, Wealth, and Wisdom Group, and that is Leaving a Legacy, which is Estate Planning Essentials. Good stuff, again, at AnnexWealth.com. Look at the Events tab. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference, Team Tech Trust. This is Money Talk, Saturday, February 2nd. Usually we do Ask Annex at this part, but we had so many 
earnings reports. We really wanted to cover that. Yeah, and, and we do. Has it been a mixed bag? I mean, it's been all over the place, but mostly good. What did FactSet say, Dave? Something like 71%? 71% FactSet came out, which was something that we've seen over the past. And you and I have had this conversation, Danny, is is why do they do that? Are they actually sandbagging the numbers? And you know, as analysts, how come they're missing it so bad? But maybe the companies are withholding because they don't want to miss because a miss gets, the stock gets punished, Mark. Well, absolutely. I mean, you don't want to get beat up because you miss a number. So maybe you sandbag just a little bit, but some big names this week, Derek, in terms of companies, you think of the two big ones, Apple and Amazon, were this week. I mean, that's two of the big four when you start looking at market capitalization of U.S. companies. Talk about those two companies, Apple and Amazon, and what their impact was on the NASDAQ this week as an overall index. Well, Apple, you know, had lowered guidance about a month ago, which surprised many because it's the first time they had done that in, in, in over a decade. And they reported, you know, a decent, decent result. Um, the one thing that they're trying to highlight is the services business, which has much, which has much higher margins uh, than the iPhone, which is 60% of their revenues. The, the, the fundamental problem that Apple's having, basically, is smartphone sales are slowing. The market is somewhat saturated. The competition has picked up, and they haven't really gained traction in China. But it's a very, very cheap stock. It pays a nice dividend, and they generate a lot of cash. They've got over $130 billion on the balance sheet. So there's a company that trades at a below market multiple growing faster than the S&P 500. So you could argue it should have a higher multiple based on these earnings. But that's people seeing kind of the slowdown ahead. Uh, to the contrary, Amazon uh, beat on both earnings and revenues, but they actually were fairly cautious about their guidance. But again, they're growing their business phenomenally. Uh, their, their web services business grew over 30%, but their margins started to diminish a little bit because Microsoft is now becoming more of a factor in that space. So when people are listening this morning, I mean, when you talk about guidance or you talk about beats either on the top line or on the bottom line, for a lot of people, I think they're forward-looking. They're saying, not, let's not look in the rearview mirror as to what you did last quarter, but starting to think about what the company's going to do in the balance of 2019 and what their plans are for 2020, 2021, and beyond. So I think some of those guidance numbers are, are sometimes at least a sentiment of what the analysts think is more important than looking backwards at the numbers. Well, that's true, and also the pattern of their earning surprises. I mean, I remember you know, in 2000, you knew the tech, the tech bubble was going to burst when Cisco could only, beat, could only match their estimates after beating it by a penny for like 30 quarters in a row and, and lowering margin guidance. So, you know, you got to watch margins. You got to figure out where those earnings and revenue guesses are and what the, what implications that has for margins and what ultimately will translate into bottom bottom line profits. So a lot of people own GE and uh, they, they made some news this week as well. Well, yeah, GE, you know, finally reported a, a better than expected revenue quarter. They, they missed on the earnings side. You know, there's talk about selling some of their divisions. Uh, so that stock is up almost 50%, I believe, from the lows in a fairly short period of time. It's still a horrible performer over the last 12 months. Uh, but the new CEO seems to be making some progress. You know, they, they got kicked out of the Dow, and you and I had a conversation maybe about a year and a half ago, and it was actually with a GE employee, and he vehemently disagreed, and, and that's actually what happened. Well, yeah, and, and the thing that you find is, you know, when a stock gets kicked out of the Dow, typically the next three years it outperforms the Dow, which is classic committee 
thinking, right? You know, when everyone agrees something doesn't belong, of course, it's probably already gone down and most of the bad news is in it. And typically what they replace it with uh, underperforms it, and that's exactly what's occurred. So we got about a minute left, and there's a couple of sectors that did have bear markets. You know, we talked about bear markets earlier in the show, but there's two parts of, of a portfolio that probably saw one. Right. The small caps were down, I think, almost 30% from their highs at one point uh, in December. And as I mentioned earlier, in, in, in January, the small cap Russell 2000 index was up over 11%. Again, small caps, less exposure to trade fears and tariffs, uh, beneficiaries of a strong domestic economy, as we've highlighted with a strong jobs report, strong consumer confidence and the like. And then overseas markets where, you know, many of our clients, frankly, uh, in the middle of the year, were wondering why we continue to own them. Well, we talked about the valuation differential. We talked about the fact that their central banks were more accommodative than our own. And so in the month of January, emerging markets, for example, were up 10 percent, and they actually outperformed in December when everything got shellacked. So, you know, the biggest part of a lot of people's assets, Danny, are their 401k, and we've got a great segment coming up. Yep, for sure. Uh, Tom Park's about to be here to talk about 401ks, the outflows, the inflows. It's kind of technical, but at the end, a huge takeaway for any of the millennials that you know. You probably should share this one because they are not contributing as much to their 401ks. That is next on Money Talk. Here we are sitting at uh, 1041 and 35 degrees. We are celebrating. Uh, If you need more details on us, it's as easy as going to AnnexWealth.com. Time is money. Make the most of yours with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference, Team Tech Trust Annex Wealth Management. Tom Parks is Director of Retirement Plan Services at Annex Wealth Management, and his team works with companies to make sure their employee 401k programs are operating efficiently and properly and in line with expectations. How about that, Tom? Welcome. Very good. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Not a problem. New research says that outflows from 401ks are outpacing new money coming in to workplace retirement savings. That's a trend that they think is going to continue because baby boomers are retiring. So it's a couple of things, the demographics and the maturity of the 401k market. Is that a problem? That's interesting. It depends on who you ask. So if you are a 401k industry provider, then yes, it's a problem because you're losing money and people get paid at assets under management and things like that. But this is where I love talking about this. I'm so glad that we found this article because my job is day in, day out, help people. This is why you need to save for retirement. This is how you can go about doing these are investments. And I think this serves as a really good reminder of this is why you do that, because someday you're going to take the money out and you're going to spend it, you know? All that money you're saving, all that money you're investing, and if you get online and you watch your balance go up and you see the company match and you, you, you're you in the the right funds and you rebalance from time to time, all that stuff, eventually you get that money. That's yes, yours. you're doing it for a reason. And that's what this article ultimately is talking about. The perspective was from the retirement plan industry, this could be a problem, these outflows. But I really look at it more as a validation of this is why you should be saving for retirement because someday it's going to be there for you. Interesting point in the piece is millennials. 401k investors are replacing boomers in the workplace. We all know that. But they're deferring a smaller percentage of their salaries to retirement accounts. Now, millennials, that is a problem. Well, yeah. And it's interesting that our experience with millennials, and we have a lot of them uh, who work at our client firms, is they fall into two camps. They're either they totally get it and they're all about it, 
or they don't. There isn't a whole lot of in between there. So we've got some awesome millennials like we have here at Annex. You know, they totally get the concept. They're all gung ho about it and they're doing it. And then there are others that are kind of taking a wait and see approach or too often. Sometimes you see the trying to keep up with the Joneses and then things like saving for retirement get kind of put aside, which is a shame because with that group in particular, with the time value of money, they actually have to do less if you do it early enough in your career. That's a constant challenge that we have. As you work with companies, do you find people that have really old 401ks from two or three jobs ago? Yeah, yeah, we see that. And we see that with some of our clients. We have a lot of, we have policies in place and procedures where every year we reach out to those people who are former employees of the company who still have a balance in the plan. If it's 5000 or more, like I said, they can't force them to take it out. So we're constantly trying to remind people. And it surprises me sometimes. I'll be like, gosh, this guy has forty five grand in this and he won't even answer our, you know, does he even remember right. that it's there? That's the other thing that surprises me is sometimes people forget that they have a big balance in a plan. I don't know how how you forget about that, but it does happen. Tom Parks is Director of Retirement Plan Services at Annex Wealth Management. We're talking about 401ks. So my other son is a cop, so he's in a 403B. And so I've been doing the typical dad thing, and I've been bugging him. How much you putting in? How much you putting in? He finally got back to me, and he said, 6.5%. I said, good. It should be a little bit more. And I quoted you. I said, Tom Parks says, if it doesn't hurt just a little bit, it's probably not enough. And that's true. Yeah, I, and that is my rule of thumb for people. When you're starting off, I Obviously, there are bogeys that our industry aims for between 10 and 15% is pretty much what everyone thinks you should be doing, somewhere in that range. 10% might be a big number for someone starting off early. So I always say do at least start at something that pinches somewhat. It should hurt a little bit. And then you got to get your yourself up there. The cool thing is with all the platforms that are out there and the service providers now, they make it pretty easy. You can usually go onto the website and say, you know, I'm going to put away 6% and then every year just automatically bump me up by 1% or 2% or do it every six months, whatever the case may be. And then employers now are even making that part of the plan where they'll automatically enroll you and then they will bump you up until you hit that 10 or 12% at which point it plateaus. We all know that unemployment is low and that there's a real shootout for talent. And I've got to think that the benefits package is sometimes tips anybody in the, in the right favor. Yeah, it's definitely a consideration. When we talk about compensation, people today are much more aware. It's not just the salary. It's the health care benefits. It's the retirement plan benefits and things like that. We actually have a client who recently instituted a matching contribution in the plan, whereas before they did not have one. And a big reason they're doing Doing it is for recruitment and retention. Employers understand the value. And that's the thing that when you look at it from a budgetary perspective, if you're a CFO, obviously you're always looking at the spreadsheet and want to make sure that uh, the bottom line is where it needs to be. But there are ways you can offer someone a smaller salary if you have the right benefit package to go along with it. And we talk a lot about those things with our clients. In the best cases, in the best cases, we collaborate with the people who provide the health care benefits to say, okay, let's all get together and put together a package that's going to be great for everyone. Can we complement each other to help our clients really put their best foot forward? So give me the quick elevator speech on what it is that we do with 401ks. That's a great question, Danny. So it's two parts. I am primarily responsible for working with those HR directors, the CFOs, the owners of the company to help them wrap their heads around what are your responsibilities as a plan fiduciary. All of those people have other tasks that they need to deal with on a daily basis. So we come in and we help them understand what are your responsibilities and we help them execute them. We obviously work on the plan investments. We monitor those. We help construct lineups so that employees have a nice 
balance of funds to choose from so that they can do proper asset allocation and diversification. And then we turn to the employees and we say, okay, this is where the, the Annex team really comes into play. Say, okay, you've got this great benefit. How can you take advantage of it? So we do a lot of on-site, one-on-one consultations with employees to help make sure that each one of them is taking best advantage of that benefit. We've reached our floor. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for joining us. See you again soon. Looking for us, we're at AnnexWealth.com. We've got a number of locations that are convenient for most of our listening area. Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton, downtown, our newest branch inside the Fister, and then Annex Everywhere. If you can hear this radio station, we can use screen share technology, nice, secure screen share technology, and we can uh, do it that way. Again, start at AnnexWealth.com. Just click that Get Started button. Don't settle for less. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WGMJ. Know the difference. Team Tech Trust Money Talk Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, February 2nd. We haven't even talked about the Super Bowl, which is tomorrow. Who are you liking, Dave? Neither team. Can they Good. both lose? Is <laughs> it possible? Man. Good man. How about you, Mark? Well, we went out to Foxborough this year, and I'll tell you, those Patriot fans are wild, and, and we had a great time on the trip, but uh, were you they welcome? look awful good. Were they, you welcomed? Would you, did you wear your green and gold? Yeah, we did. Again? Sure did. Nice Absolutely. Job. And, uh, you know, we were welcomed, not warmly welcomed, but we were welcomed. Um, yeah, well, Bostonian welcome. I yeah. almost wish we could have had the mics on during our last commercial break because we had a spirited discussion about the phrase, know what you own. And how many times did we speak at this last week at Annex Wealth Management? A bunch of times. Mark, can you go over the results of our survey on, on the, from the Axiom? We, we were, it was annuity week. Yeah, we, we polled our own clients, and we send out about 9,000 to 10,000 issues of Axiom every week to, to people that are, have signed up for it. And if you haven't signed up for it, do yourself a favor. Go out there this morning, get yourself signed up for Axiom. Great information. We pulled our own clients, and about 60% of our existing clients own an annuity. Then we asked them a follow-up question, which was, do you know how it operates? To, to our surprise, about 51% of the 60% that own an annuity said they understand how the contract operates. What was a little disconcerting was about 48% of them said, I own an annuity and I don't know how it operates. And those are our clients. Those are people that are going through a financial planning process. I'm really concerned about the people out there who got sold an annuity by an annuity salesperson. They don't know how it operates and there's no one left to explain it to them. And the reason why it was a spirited conversation is because Derek said a friend of his brought it up and that he was upset and that we were annuity bashing and we're not and we haven't done that and the I think p- we're pretty clinical when well, we talk about it listen all what we keep saying is know what you own and there is you know the annuity has been around for hundreds of years it is a stream of payment sounds great right it is that they've gotten complicated and what we what we keep telling people is know what you know own and and know what it costs I mean that's I'll say it again, and I've been saying it for years. And we're not, you know, we're not Fisher with his right. ads in saying I hate annuities. We've never said that on the show, but we're saying know what you own. Mark. It's always been about education. We just want people to be empowered investors. That is having an intelligent conversation with someone without a bias. That's not going to sell you a product or try to roll your annuity into a new annuity as a part of explaining what it is that you own. Wait, you can roll an annuity into an annuity? Oh yeah, yeah baby. baby. Oh, okay. Yeah. At the end of the day. People have to have a plan, and sometimes an annuity is in their plan. And we're not advocating for it, and we're not we're not ripping on it. We're saying, it, is it in your plan? Failing to plan is planning to fail, and that's why you have to have a financial plan. And this is what we do every day, Mark. You know, and and I think about the situation where we have people that come in a. Uh, 
a couple friends of mine actually uh, were interested in doing some financial planning. He's a guy that's about my age, and and he had a similar experience to to what I had. And in fact, he had a he had a heart attack about a year or two ago. And you know, he and his wife came in, and it was about financial planning. But Dave, in their case, they were looking at their two young children, and they were doing estate planning. And so, when you start to think about planning, it's all kinds of different planning, and it's not just about the investments. Sometimes it's not just about you know how did I perform against the S and P five hundred. It's doing the little things. It's doing the tax planning. It's doing the retirement plan. It's doing the estate planning. No matter how old you are, there's a great article in Axiom this week, which is going to come out tomorrow, about estate planning and naming somebody who's going to be your guardian in the event that something happens to you and what happens to your estate. And sometimes it's not a family member. Sometimes it is. But the point being, of course, Dave, is that no matter what age you are, what station you are in life, where you're at in your financial plan, it pays to sit down with somebody and have a conversation, have an intelligent conversation with somebody who's unbiased about the result, who's going to give you some solid advice about what you're doing, where you're going, and how you're going to get there. And people have come in, and we've given them a review, and we've reviewed some of their estate planning documents, and sometimes we send them back to their advisor and say, here, this is this looks good. These are the questions that you should ask them. It's a healthy second opinion, and most people should take advantage of it. And Mark, as you, as you well know, we do this every day in all of our offices, and we go through this process, and people, it's an interactive way, way to go through it, and I think that's where it really is different. It's not planning by the pound that we used to do you know, decades ago. Sure. It used to be you got that leather-bound binder, and this was your plan as if it came down from Mount Sinai. I mean, it was th- that's just not the way that it is anymore. So technology has really come into play where we can bring people into a conference room, put their stuff up on a confidential screen, and have a conversation with them, and then play the what-if game. You can say, what if I retire at 65 versus 67? What if I take my Social Security now versus later? All those things are different levers that you can pull in a financial plan. Very interactive. We can do it from anywhere in the world, really can, with technology these days. So if you're interested in doing that, we'd, we'd invite you to give us a call. Go to AnnexWealth.com, hit that Get Started button. We'd be happy to help. I uh, said it very simply. Thank you, Mark Oswald and Dave Spano. That's Money Talk for Saturday, February 2nd. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.